feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. Tonight, there are no words that you can mince. Law enforcement screwed up, and they screwed up big time. And in a stunning admission, the head of the Texas Department of Public Safety, Steve McGraw, came out in a press conference just a few hours ago and said that the commander on the ground in Uvalde, Texas, at that elementary school, the commander who was in charge of the local area there, made some catastrophically bad decisions that were potentially fatal on so many different levels. And tonight, I want to take your calls and get your thoughts as to why you think this went horribly wrong by law enforcement as family members were outside pleading to get inside that school. Can you imagine? You've got a child inside that school. The guns are, or gun rounds are going off. You're saying, charge, charge, please, I am begging you. You want to, like, rip off their, you know, bulletproof vest and say, we're going to go in instead. If you're not going to go in, I'm going to go in. They see all these law enforcement waiting outside. There are some inside. But now we find out tonight, this is stunning. It's like close to an hour from when they first engaged with this madman, this shooter, from when they actually went in and they got a master key because the door was locked from the inside. We're also learning that a teacher accidentally propped the door and forgot to close it after that. Uh, And they have a lockdown going on? I mean, there are just so many mistakes. And the fact that they came out today, this to me is just, it's heartbreaking to hear because you guys all know I love law enforcement. I am such an enormous supporter of our men and women in blue. Uh, But they also made a lot of mistakes. And also the commander, for sure, made a lot of mistakes because often the person on the scene is the one who's giving the information. And today he was called out big time that he basically made the wrong shots, assuming that it was a, quote, barricaded shooter, as opposed to a, quote, active shooter. Why would you wait? We're finding out that there were 911 calls from, you know, people inside, teachers and students, begging for help, begging for help, saying there's still a few alive in here. Wouldn't you just charge? That's what you have to do. It is a tough job in law enforcement. And it is a scary job when you've got a guy with an automatic rifle. But if you know you have a school full of kids and you are getting calls from 911, maybe the communication broke down. Maybe they didn't have all the information. You know, maybe it was time for being insubordinate to that commander on the ground who I think should be fired immediately. That commander who made the decision to hold back, basically wait until we get all the appropriate equipment in place, till we get a strategy in place. You don't have time when you got a nutty, crazy 18-year-old who's opening fire on a classroom full of kids, and kids are calling and saying, this is what's going on, and they're standing right outside the door. That's the other thing. I don't understand 
how if they were standing right outside the door, they surely could have heard the shots going off because people said when the kids were calling into 911, they could hear gunfire in the background. We know the only person, you know, that had, you know, at least if it was an exchange of gunfire was the gunman. Or some of the police may be potentially in the background, but it doesn't sound like that's at that time. It sounds like it is after they exchanged gunfire. They tried to stop him. They, it was a little bit of back and forth, and then they held back. But they held back for 48 minutes. And tonight, a just painful admission from Steve McGraw, the head of Texas Department of Public Safety. Listen to what he had to concede. And for the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now, of course it was not the right decision. It was a wrong decision, period. There's no, no excuse for that. And here's a little bit more from Steve McGraw. Here, by 12:15, you had at least 15 officers and shields on scene. Yes. Yet you did not breach the door until 12:50. Hey, like, like I've said it before, is that well, first of all, when it comes to an active shooter, is you don't have to wait on tactical gear. You Plain and simple, you, you've got, got an obligation. What I know now, okay, absolutely, it was an active shooter because you can transition. Keep in mind in the doctrine, okay, of active shooters, you can transition from an alert. From an active shooter situation to a barricaded subject or a barricaded with hostage subject, but but if, if shooting continues and you have any reason to believe that there's individuals alive in there, you've got an obligation to move back to an active shooter posture, and that means everybody everybody at the door. And guess what? They did not do that. Think about had they taken the guy from all different directions, he would have been able to focus on the kids. Right now, at that moment, it looks like he had like open field. I mean, it, it is just, it's gut-wrenching. It is gut-wrenching. And to hear that there were students actually calling in at that moment. So I want to hear your thoughts about this tonight. Who do you blame? Obviously, we blame the gunman first and foremost. Clearly, we had a madman. And, you know, I don't know if any school district is ever really fully prepared for something like this. But when you hear that the school resource officer drove by him, that, and was kind of like the guy was maybe kneeling at the time and he didn't even notice. Why did they tell us at first there was a school resource officer who exchanged rounds with the gunman? That was not true. Turns out there was a, a gunfire with some people at the funeral home nearby. And then we wondered, how did he get in? He got in because a teacher propped the door open to look for a cell phone. Why was there not some big message saying there are, is a all-out APB there's a shooter in the area. The minute you're around, every single elementary school in Uvalde should have been locked down. And they did get an APB about that. So wouldn't you lock the doors? What is a teacher going out and getting a cell phone, propping the door open? I mean, there are so many issues. But for law enforcement to wait that long, it is outrageous. And to me, I am such a supporter of law enforcement. But, boy, they screwed this one up big time. And McCraw has a couple different scenarios as to why maybe the cops waited. You go back to the timeline, there was a barrage. Hundreds of rounds were pumped in in four minutes, okay, into those two classrooms. Then anything else, any firing afterwards was sporadic and it was at the door. So the belief is that there may not be anybody living anymore and that the subject is now trying to keep law enforcement at bay or entice them to come in to, to, to suicide by contact. Were they worried about suicide by cop? By the way, one of the spokespeople in an earlier interview said, you know what, 
We were a little worried that maybe one of our cops could be injured. We obviously don't want to see any cops injured, my goodness. But if they could have stormed and prevented the shooter from killing the kids, that is what their job is, too. Should you just kind of let the shooter, you know, and you stand back? There are so many gut-wrenching questions tonight that I never thought I'd be asking, but it's important. And this is the story everybody is talking about as we're getting more details, and including Governor Abbott of Texas. He actually he was supposed to be at the NRA convention today in Houston. Instead, he did a video address, but he went to Uvalde, and he said he was outraged when he found out that he said people misrepresented information to him, that they did not tell him the true story, and that he was learning it today along with all of us. Take a listen. I wrote down hand notes in detail about what everybody in that room told me in sequential order about what happened. And when I came out here on this stage and told the public what happened, it was a recitation of what people in that room told me, whether it be law enforcement officials or non-law enforcement officials, whatever the case may be. And as everybody has learned, the information that I was given turned out in part to be inaccurate, and I'm absolutely livid about that. Yeah, as are the rest of America. 1-800-848-9222, and you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. By the way, later on in the show, we are also going to have Andrew Giuliani on, New York gubernatorial candidate on the GOP side. They have a big primary coming up. He's going to talk about what happened in Texas and also how crime is such a huge issue in New York and, of course, around the country, a major issue central to the campaign. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jimmy, line two. Jimmy, your thoughts. Uh, Good afternoon. Good evening. I'm sorry. Um, Just first off, let's pray for the families. I mean, this is a horrible tragedy. And with all this stuff, let's not forget them. Absolutely. Absolutely. The community has to rally around the families, you know, become a part of their lives. Offer your, you know, your homes, cook for them, clean, go over and do the things that they probably just don't even care about anymore. They don't care about the dish full, of, you know, the sink full of dishes, whatever. Just, you know, help the family, whatever you could do. And um, I don't want to go on and on. I could say what we've been, you know, hearing all the time. But, you know, the, the police, there was a problem. Who knows? But I think the bureaucracy, the policemen are afraid to do their job because they get in trouble. They lose their pension, perhaps, if they, you know, step out of line. and it's hard to say it, but these are all Democrat-led things. You know what I mean? It's getting in trouble. And I think the higher-ups just get involved too much and don't let the men react. I'm sure there's a lot of brave officers down there that would have done that. They would have reacted, done what comes to them. But Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, Jimmy, there's a story, too, even, of a border agent who was actually at the barber shop and got the word from his wife what was going on at the school. And he literally, like, looked at the barber. The barber had a gun. You know, it's Texas. It's a border town. He said, hey, to the barber, can I borrow your gun? Picked up the gun, literally as he's getting a haircut, and, like, ran to the school. And he was one of the first border guys to kind of get to the school. Um, So you're right. There's so many great stories of heroism. Uh, Let's go to Norm, line one. Norm, your thoughts. Go ahead, Norm. Hi. Yeah, I I first want to say that the uh, school has to have doors that don't open so easily 
for teachers to go out. I was a teacher for 32 years in New York City. And one of the rules we had was as a teacher, you lock the doors so no one could get in unless you open it. And every door had a glass so you could see in, see out or in, so you know what's going on. So when you walk, when you left the classroom, the doors were closed. Now, you know what, did you hear what happened? A teacher apparently went out prior to any of the, you know, these alerts going out um, and apparently propped the back door because she was going out to get her cell phone. She probably forgot it in a car or something like that, put like a little book in the door or whatever. And then I think she said she came back in and she forgot to unprop it. Unprop, right. There's an easy fix. I was a phys ed teacher and we used the side door. When we used to run outside, go to the yard. But all those doors should be locked and maybe electrically locked by the principal, uh, by electric, uh, electrical system that can't be even open unless the principal is given an okay and he can control all those doors. So that teacher would not be able to. But I was talking about the classroom door itself. Yeah, now that's, a, that's another thing. Did you hear? This was surprising to me that today... They had to go get the master key, they said, from the janitor to be able to open the door to the classroom because it locks from the inside. What do you make of that? Because I don't know how long that took. You know, maybe they had to track down the janitor. Who knows? I don't know. Because uh, my, my father was a, uh, a custodian engineer for the school. And there was never issues like that. I, I don't understand. And also I wanted to say about the police. I'm very poor police like you are. But who's trained these police? I mean, uh, I took a course not too long ago run by the Monroe Police Department. Uh, it was an advertisement about going to a movie theater to discuss active shooting training. What do you do if you're in a large group area and, it's, and there's a gunman? And, and they get, it was an amazing uh, two-hour explanation and actually... We were actually given instructions what to do, and they actually enacted uh, a shooter. And by the way, Norm, you bring up a great point because all these schools need to do it. You know, it's a shame. If you look at this school, Rob Elementary, on paper, it looked like they had all the right procedures in place. Uh, And on their website, they kind of lay out, here's the steps they do. And it looked like, boy, these guys are on top of it. I mean, it really looked quite impressive. The problem is they weren't even instituting their own policies. You know, I mean, what was the teacher walking out with the door open? The resource officer, they only have, I think it's like four of them, but there are eight schools. So, of course, he can't be at every school at once. And then as soon as this APB went out, it should have been full court lockdown. You know, how, how would that door be able to be open? How could a teacher, you know, leave the door open? Um, how could nobody check the doors? How couldn't it be some instant lock or an alarm goes off if there's a door that's still open? I mean, there's so many of these things that just clearly fell through the cracks. And they also did training, by the way, in this district in the last few weeks. So Uvalde police, this is the other question. And this is fascinating um, and sad because Uvalde police actually had their tactical unit, according to multiple reports, in the last few weeks go through all the schools in their district to prepare for what if. So now what if happens and they suddenly don't have the right equipment, they don't have the right – I mean, that to me is like there are so many questions tonight. And it breaks my heart. I love law enforcement, but they really messed up on this one. 1-800-848-9222. 
1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show. Listen to this podcast now on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Download all of Red Apple Media's podcasts right now through your favorite podcast platform. It's the Rita Cosby Show. And you are listening to the Rita Cosby Show, a very tough night given the details that we just heard a few hours ago from Texas law enforcement officials who say that they made a mistake that the commander on the ground the local Uvalde Texas commander there on the ground was the one who was in charge and he made the call to wait and not breach the school so they waited and they waited and they waited they waited almost an hour as there were 911 calls coming in from teachers and students pleading for them to storm that there were still people alive. There are so many gut-wrenching details today and so many mistakes made on a lot of different levels. So I want to hear your thoughts about this. It's 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Michael, line three in Virginia Beach. Michael, go ahead. Hey, Michael. Michael, call back. You're, you're, we have a bad connection. Let's go to David uh, in L.A., in the meantime, David, go ahead, David. Yeah, Rita, as I hear you describe the situation, I hate to use the word laughable in this situation, but here's what I believe is happening. Yeah, please it's don't. By a, the way, David, please don't use the word laughable because it is. there's nothing laughing about this. No, exactly. That's why I said I hate to use it. But, you know, it's just the dumbing down of people. Critical thinking has been removed from people. Everyone's a snowflake. I can imagine on the 911 call, well, gee, can you describe what the shooter looks like? What color pants is he wearing? These are the types of questions they ask. Nobody wants to get in trouble. Well, let's see. Let's read the instruction manual for the protocol. People are just brain-dead zombies, and they just want to pass the buck so they don't get in trouble. And it's just the lower standards of Americans. People are just becoming dumb. Well, you know what what is, David, though? They need to fess up. Like, whoever made mistakes here need to fess up. Because we're all going to find out what really happened ultimately. You might as well. I actually handed to Steve McCraw of Department of Public Safety there of Texas that they did come out and said we were wrong. Um, he scolded clearly. That's you know it's not his. It's a, the local guy who he says was the commander, and he said it was the wrong decision. I mean he clearly came right out. I at least commend him that he came forward because we're all going to find out. So far, by the way, David, we've heard eleven different versions of what happened. Why is it so difficult to get to the truth? Because sadly, the truth isn't a pretty one. And we need to make sure that we find out so this does not happen again. David, thank you very, very much. Let's go to Christine, line four. Christine, your thoughts. Hi, good evening, Rita. You know what? Maybe we don't see the police using their instincts in situations like this. Yeah, because by the way, I bet there were a lot of people like that guy in the barber shop, who as soon as he heard, he grabbed the barber's gun, because remember, they live near the border, and ran towards the school. And, and you know, it's a hard thing to say, hey, defy your boss's orders, but that's probably what should have happened, because their boss is an idiot. And their boss made a huge mistake 
that may have cost a lot of kids' lives. We don't know exactly, like, when certain shootings happen. They're going to definitely piece a lot of it together. But there are 911 calls where there are kids calling in, and you can hear gunshots in the background. And they are pleading, saying there's still eight or nine alive here in the background. Please hum. Please come. Please come. I mean, it doesn't get any more gut-wrenching. I mean, my heart just breaks for these family members. And I feel bad for the law enforcement because they are told to stand back. They were waiting, as we understand, for some shields because they knew the guy had, you know, uh, high-velocity weaponry. And they were worried, you know, that he could kill them, which is obviously a huge concern. We didn't want any dead law enforcement officers. But there had to have been a way to storm. You can't just sit back. And say, okay, you know, he's a barricade. I don't know why they assumed he was a barricaded. That's what they say. The commander on the ground said it was a barricaded shooter versus an active shooter. You know what? You're right there. You could probably hear, especially if you're on a 911 call and you hear gunshots. Suddenly, guess what? He's an active shooter at that point. I mean, to me, this is just, it is insane. There are so many heads that I think should roll. So many people should get fired over this. We're going to continue talking about it. Listen to this podcast now on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Download all of Red Apple Media's podcasts right now through your favorite podcast platform. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, Uh, As we are talking about some of the mistakes made by law enforcement in Texas, we have to remember that every single day is so difficult and so dangerous for our men and women in blue. And a painful reminder is, of course, right in New York. NYPD officers Wilbert Mora and Jason Rivera are now forever honored in the Harlem, New York station house where they worked. The young cops' names were added to the memorial wall just recently inside the 32nd Precinct Station House. 27-year-old Mora and 22-year-old Rivera were gunned down on January 21st of this year when they responded to what they thought was a routine call for help from a woman whose son was threatening to hurt her. The woman's son, a career criminal, 47-year-old LaShawn McNeil, came out of a back bedroom and ambushed the officers before another cop was able to shoot him. Mora and Rivera were posthumously posthumously promoted to detective, and the officers' families remain angry about bail reform and other legislation that they believe create a climate that demonizes cops and goes easy on criminals. And boy, is that an important message tonight, especially as we talk about, yes, There were mistakes made clearly in this Texas case that Texas law enforcement are right away coming out and saying the commander on the ground made the absolutely wrong call. He should have stormed the compound with all the different officers that they had found a way to stop the shooting that after Columbine, they learned they cannot wait because that is the moment, usually right away, those minutes are so critical. And you want to disorient the gunman. You want to have him wonder, what direction are you coming from? Have law enforcement coming from so many different directions and firing at him, and you know that one of them would be able to take the shot and take this guy out. And unfortunately, they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And now the details are just really painful to hear. 
Here, by the way, are some of the kids that were inside, some of the survivors who were able to talk about what they experienced. Take a listen. I hear shoot, shoot, the shooter, try to shoot at an officer. They ran past the rescue and went back inside. What were you thinking as you were hiding in that bathroom for so long? I think I was just like trying to like be still, not like move, talk. I was just crying my head, just don't make no noise. Everybody was scared. We were all panicking because we didn't know what was really happening. All we saw were thousands of police and border patrol coming into the cafeteria. And we were all hiding behind a stage in the cafeteria when it happened. I got really scared and I didn't know who was her or dead. And then we started looking around on Facebook and then I realized that all the people I knew were dead. And that is just gut-wrenching to hear. When you hear those young kids with their sweet little voices describing what they saw firsthand. And there's a story also of a young child who literally smeared her buddy's blood on her, covered herself with blood, and pretended like she was dead so the shooter would pass her over and she would ultimately survive. I mean, it's, it's just, can you imagine what somebody, a young elementary school student, has to have in their mind and to be able to think about that. And I think about the guts of the 911 caller, one of the students who called, and he shot her as she was trying to call 911 to help other people. It is gut-wrenching. Well, here is Uvalde police talking. Here's a witness saying that they were so disappointed that police did not storm. DPS, everybody was here. They already had the back, uh, the street barricaded all the way to Carrizo Springs Highway, almost uh, like 100 feet from there. And I, I just parked outside the barricade and went up the street as far as I could because they were keeping people back. And you could see the parents were still there further up. And these guys had vests. They had tactical weapon uh, vests and they had their guns and they did nothing but hold people back. Oh, it is gut-wrenching to hear. And they had the numbers. I mean, we don't want law enforcement killed. The guy did have, you know, it was automatic. It could have killed a lot of people. Um, But also look at how many lives were lost inside that school. And every minute is precious. Every minute. You cannot wait. Uh, Former NYPD Commissioner Bill Bratton was disgusted and heartbroken when he heard some of the details that were released today. And he was angry because he loves our men and women in blue, as you and I and and uh, I think everybody does. Everybody should. But this one was just a horrible mess. Law enforcement in Texas has been an embarrassment in terms of the information they've been providing, uh, the misinformation they've been providing. I teach this in terms of communications in times of crises. And you always start off with information as preliminary, subject to change. The information they've been putting out now two, three days after the event has been an embarrassment because there was so much misinformation. So we really don't know at this stage what happened in those first 12 minutes, that first hour. But we do know is that there seems to have been a violation of the basic tenet 
of active shooters, which is that you move to the shooter. No matter what, you move to the shooter to save lives. Yeah, you can not wait. That's the job you signed up for. 1-800-848-9222. We need to back the blue. We need to stop this nonsense of defund the police. We need to give them more equipment, better military hardware, better training. We need to back the blue a thousand percent. But we need to make sure they're properly trained because, sadly, these kind of situations are happening all too often. Let's go to Tom, line eight. Tom, your thoughts. You're here on the Rita Cosby Show. Uh, good evening, Rita. I, I got to say, I, I want to first say that I want to pray for the families and the children. Um, I'm angry. Uh, no matter what, we need to protect the children. Situations like this call for swift action, and action is sometimes violent and sometimes lethal, but always just when defending life, especially children. You know, I, I would have done whatever it takes without regard for my job my or my life. You know, uh, I was a soldier for 16 years, you know, and law enforcement and and soldiers know the risk. You know, uh, especially children, you got to protect the children, the most important thing. I've been mindful of my anger, but I, I've been able to keep my anger in check for a long time. But stuff like this really ang- makes me angry. Um, it gets my Brooklyn up, you know. There's got to be accountability. And uh, we need to learn from our mistakes. I hate to keep saying this. We keep learning from our mistakes. How long has this been happening? Stuff like this. We need to do something. Right. Not just the- right. Yeah. And you know what's interesting, Tom? They had, like, if you look at, like, their protocols, they actually had a really comprehensive, like, security plan on their website. The problem was they weren't even implementing their own protocols. And, and then Uvalde police comes down. Let me ask you, Tom. You were a veteran. Um, It is a difficult situation when you have, you know, in defense of police, when you have an active shooter who has barricaded himself sort of in there um, and he's got kids, you know, you don't know if he's going to, you know, uh, put them in front of you, him, you know, if you start opening fire, you have no idea. Um, There's so many, you know, um, unknowns at that moment that are really scary. Um, But he's got uh, high ammunition. He is loaded for bear and he's got an automatic. Um, what do you do? You tell me as a, as a soldier, uh, especially because the, the one thing that the law enforcement did have was they had numbers, you know, they had, they had power and numbers to, to come from maybe some different directions, which is ultimately what happened. One of the border agents, the BORTAC, sophisticated border agent, took him out. Um, but, um, but at that point, what, what would you have done? Let me just ask you. I, in, in the way I was trained was, you know, you have to keep the the, uh, the person uh, who the shooter is in in constant um, disarray. You got to go from different directions. You got to keep moving. And when the people are opening the door and you hit somebody from the other side, you're banging on the windows or something like that. You get them to go towards the window, even fire towards the window. And when you open that door, you take care of it. You do what you got to do. I mean, I wasn't there in that situation. I don't know the whole whole everything that went on, but you have to distract. You have to distract and this and get the, the no matter what. It's all about the children. I don't care if you lose your life. If somebody lost their life as an officer, I would be very un- um, understandable, and I would be very upset. But it's what you got to do. Yeah, no it's, matter it, what. it's what it's you children. signed up for. And 48 minutes, Tom, 48 minutes, that is a lifetime. And if somebody, we don't know how many were shot in that window. Uh, I would venture to say a number were. Um, maybe some bled out. I mean, whatever. You can't, you don't, every minute is precious. Uh, what, what do you think should happen to that commander on the ground who made this call? Because you can tell the governor and Texas, the state of Texas law enforcement there, they're furious. 
Well, he's going to definitely resign. He has to resign. If he doesn't resign, he needs to be fired. But, you know. Um, I hope he gets I fired. I hope he doesn't have the chance to resign. I hope he actually gets fired. Roger that. I think that if, if they went in earlier, they wouldn't have had this situation where it was a barricaded fire uh, shooter. He would have been in the halls. They would have been able to get him. But you have to go from different directions. You disorientate the uh, shooter. And it, with overwhelming force, you have four or five guys there. You got four or five guys. Yes, I know a 9 millimeter is not going to do much about body armor, but you got headshots, you got leg shots. Bring them down. You know, get them, get them, whatever you got to do. Yeah, he's an 18-year-old. He wasn't like a, he wasn't a veteran like you. I mean, we don't know what kind of training he had, but it looks like he just got the guns. I don't know if he had, you know, weapons training before he got the guns. He did get the guns legally, but he just got them recently. So we don't know how much experience. But just like you said, you shoot him in the leg. You shoot him all over the place. You have power in numbers because you got a lot of cops there. Uh, yeah, you can create a lot of scenes and a lot of things that could create chaos in the moment that would distract him enough for somebody else to take that shot. Tom, that was a great call. I really appreciate it. Let's go to John in Staten Island. Uh, John, line five, your thoughts. Hey, Rita. Listen, uh, we're going through this, this, this Texas thing two days in a row already. And, we, you know, the information's coming out. And we got to listen and find out what's going on. But can someone explain to me where somebody in Buffalo killed 10 people and they got a chance to, uh, whatchamacallit, get the uh, hostage takers to take the gun away from this guy instead of shooting him out? Why wasn't he taken out? The guy who killed 10, 10 people in the supermarket, why wasn't he taken out right away? Right. Where was, where was the tactical force? Right. I mean, we could talk about this since we find out what's going on. But what we're doing is harping the same information over and over. We don't know. I want to know why the Buffalo shooter wasn't taken out right away. Well, let me tell you, I actually have a good answer for it. Two reasons. The guy was uh, Peyton Gindron. He's been charged with first-degree murder. Um, he apparently, when they came in, if I remember this correctly, put the gun to his chin and looked like he was about to blow himself up. Um, and then he put the gun down and essentially surrendered. So at that moment, he was not armed when they actually took him in. Um, this guy was, you know, was going down with guns blazing. So it's, it's a bit of a different scenario. I think they always try to take the person uh, to find out, first of all, what happened, uh, details, uh, what made this person do this. And especially if they are surrendering, which it did appear in the Buffalo case, you're right. I wish they had come in sooner in there, too. And, boy, there are so many warning signs in that case, too. Remember, he was on his social media in that one, too, you know, making the claims of what he was going to do. And then he was in that chat room, and now it turns out there were a number of people in that chat room. I mean, there's still a lot of unanswered questions, and I'm glad you brought that case up, too, because it's disturbing as well. Um, and when you hear it, that guy was in some room saying, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do that, here's what I've done, here's where I'm going. It's like, what are you kidding me? Like, what did those people do? Did they just go, oh, that's a nice message? Or did somebody actually call 911 and say, hey, maybe we need to be concerned about this guy? And then remember, he was streaming it all on social media too. Who was watching that stream? I think we have a responsibility that if you have any inkling that somebody is off their rocker as – both of these guys are pure evil, pure evil. In those cases, if there's any indication, and there looks like there were histories in both of these cases, you know what? 
you got to say something. And I'm talking about family members, too. I am talking about so many people. And in this particular case, we've even heard um, there was a congressman, uh, Tony Gonzalez, was saying that this guy in Texas was arrested four years ago for planning to blow up a school right after his 18th birthday. His 18th birthday was just recently. He bought the gun on his 18th birthday, then he bought ammo, and then he bought the second gun. I mean, he wrote the map. He did the road map there. I I mean, this is astounding to me, if indeed that is the case, because right now I think it's just the representative saying it, but if indeed that is the case, and I believe him, he's a Texas guy, I mean, that's nuts. It is absolutely nuts. Great point, John. Thank you very, very much. I really appreciate it. Let's go to J.C. in Pennsylvania. J.C., your thoughts. First of all, I can't imagine the horror going through those children's minds and just waiting all that time. Oh. Police have to go. You know, J.C., I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm saying up uh, because it is so gut-wrenching to hear it. I'm, I feel that you're... I feel the same way you do. It's, I'm so sad for them. You know, unfortunately, there's humans involved. They all make errors. No matter how, how much training you have, you got the wrong person in the wrong spot. It's a failure. But the police have to go in all angles. They just have to go straight in. And, and, and that's it. I mean, that's their job. They got to do that. Um, and holding back other people, that's, that's crazy. But the bottom line is whoever's responsible, they got to get they got to get axed besides the besides that you know what axing for these people is not going to be the worst thing that happens they're going to have to live with this the rest of their life and i if it was me i'd have to hang myself i'd have to kill myself okay and i, I you know what as a spectator i wouldn't have been able to wait outside i would have had to jump in myself you know by now, the way when, jc i don't have any kids do you have kids Yes, I have three children. Okay, but if I had now kids, I'm... and I have godchildren, by the way, even on my godchildren, if I knew my godchildren were inside, I would have I would have said, I'm going in. You know? No, I, 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 I would not have waited. Are you kidding me? I'm hearing rounds, and there are 911 calls coming in, and it's an hour. Are you kidding me? You know what? I've always said to myself, you know what? Rationale just goes out the window. If somebody was ever to threaten my kids, I'm, I'm going for them. As simple as that. I, I'd kill them right on the spot. I wouldn't even have to think of the consequences. But you know what? This is total failure. But my, my, my brain goes to the children that were in there. I can't imagine their anguish. And you know what? Coming out of this, if the, if the left just goes and starts talking about the guns, they should be put down, not put down by guns. But this isn't about guns. It's about everything. It's about the failure to react. It's about the failure of politicians to put security measures in. It's about the failure in knowing contingency plans when these things happen. It's the failure for them not acting for how many years. It's the failure for the, the, the left always to say guns, 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 and not think about the mental health of the people and always say racism and try to everybody against each other. We have to think intelligently and come to a preparedness and a complete plan so this never happens again. Absolutely. And by the way, Jay-Z, uh, JC, also, you know, my thought, too, the other thing I thought about was Obama. President Obama, the former president, puts out a tweet. I, I mean, to me, it, it was so distasteful because right after the shooting happens, all you can think about, of course, is this horrible shooting. And just like you said, the families 
and the kids. I mean, there's just, oh, and the teachers, everything, and law enforcement, everybody. It's horrible. Um, and so he said, as we're thinking about Uvalde, please remember it's the second year anniversary of George Floyd and what he went through and blah, blah, blah. It was like three words about Uvalde and not even, you know, thoughts and prayers or blah, 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 blah. It was like, as we're going through this, let's not forget about racism in America. I thought, how distasteful. That was not the time to use your political statement. That was not your time. That was the moment for the families to grieve the country, to figure out what's happening, to do whatever you can to help them. That's where the focus should be. And I, I, so many, as you point out, a lot of people on the left in particular are, boy, are they using it for political ammunition. And that is shameful. We need to come together as a country. There's a lot of layers to this. Um, and it's going to take a lot of layers to fix it. And it's going to take a lot of people to fix it. And we got to come together as a country to fix it. We're going to continue with your calls, 1-800-848-9222. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. It's The Rita Cosby Show. Listen to this podcast now on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Download all of Red Apple Media's podcasts right now through your favorite podcast platform. This is The Rita Cosby Show. And we continue to talk about the heartbreaking details of what went on at that elementary school in Texas. This is one thing I did not understand. And this came from Steve McCraw, head of Texas Department of Public Safety. Each door can lock from the inside. And we're, both doors were locked okay, from the inside. So the subject, when he went in, he locked the door. He came out one time into the hallway, went back in and locked the door because at the time that the officers went in, both doors were locked. They got a key from the janitor and used it. So they had to get a master key from a janitor to get in the door. You're telling me there's no other plan? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Lewis in New York. Go ahead, Lewis. Good evening, Rita. Um, I uh, heard what uh, retired uh, Commander Bratton said this afternoon, and I uh, have to agree with two points of his. One is you take a police job knowing that things like this happen, and I've been through this a couple of times. And Are you, you, are you retired law enforcement? Yes, ma'am. Okay, good. No, you I'm so glad you called. Okay, great. You, you really don't hesitate with these kind of situations. All I'm hearing from Texas is excuses. That's all they're saying is excuses. These guys didn't take the job to help and protect. They took the job for some kind of power, egotistical uh, mindset. Uh, Rita, I, 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 I'm not knocking these guys, but all I can tell you is this. Uh, doors locked. You uh, take a tire iron from a car and you get that door open you have 19 people against one person who's 18 years old right with a, with with tons of ammunition yeah it, it, it doesn't matter this guy could have had a bazooka you have 19 people you surround this man you deter this man you keep this man occupied away from those children and if the, these kids are, you have children, your heart goes right out into that school to get those kids. 
believe me, I've been through 9-11, and I have to tell you, Rita, uh, the the streets were were like a ghost town, and I was uh, uh, out, out in Long Island. Louis, and Louis, do me a favor. Louis, do me a favor. Stay with us. We're going to go to a quick break. We're going to continue with more after the break. Um, Louis, uh, former law enforcement official, giving us his take. We'll continue with the next hour of the Rita Cosby Show. Listen to this podcast now on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And later on in this hour, we're going to be joined by Andrew Giuliani, who's going to give us his take on what needs to be done to keep our school children safe in America after this terrible shooting in Texas where 19 elementary school kids were killed and two teachers. And the details are just so horrible. Uh, One of the things we're learning about this kid's background, clearly he was troubled. He was putting messages on his social media. He was watching a lot of violent video games. He was talking about shooting up the school. Hello, maybe somebody should have said, wait a minute, there is a major problem here. And when he went into the school, this 18-year-old guy was loaded for bear. Listen to Texas officials talk about that. He had purchased and had a total of 1,657 total rounds of ammunition. 315 of those rounds were inside the school. 142 of those were spent cartridges. 173 were live rounds. 922 were outside of the school, but on school property. 22 of those were spent cartridges. 900 were live rounds. 422 were at the crash site. 22 were spent cartridges. 420 of those were live rounds. Wow. So some of them were still, as we just heard, outside of the school. But still, much of it was with the shooter inside. And he was just shooting children indiscriminately and teachers in that fourth grade classroom after we find out a teacher accidentally propped open a door to go get her cell phone at one point and she left the door still propped open so he just had to walk inside it is heartbreaking i contend we need to have so much more security at our schools we need to have armed guards at our schools we got to have armed resource people who know what they're doing. Maybe we need teachers who are trained, sort of air marshals that are sort of picked where they could hide a gun and have a plan in place. I mean, there are so many issues here. This fence around the school is like four feet tall. Anybody can hop over it. And then the guy walks inside after they basically have a whole alert out that the system's in lockdown. Clearly it wasn't in lockdown. He's right there outside the school. There was an APB that he's outside the school and they have a door that's propped open. This, to me, is the definition of insanity. It is so horrible, and my heart just breaks so much for these parents. And so many wrong decisions were made, including with a commander on the ground who told people, stay back, it is a barricaded shooter. This is not an active shooter. In other words, we can take our time, we can strategize. He's just barricading in, he's not doing anything. 
that wasn't the case. Boy, was he horribly wrong. And today, Texas law enforcement made a stunning admission. Take a listen. The question simply is this. was a 40-minute gap. And if the 911 operators were aware that, that children were alive in that classroom, why weren't officers notified of that? And if that's the case, why didn't they take action? That's the question. And again, the, I'll go back to the answer for right now, is that, that it was considered, okay, the decision was made on the scene. I wasn't there, but at the same point in time, you know, a decision was made that this was a barricaded subject situation. There was time to retrieve the keys and wait for a tactical team with the equipment to, to go ahead and breach the door and take on the subject at that point. That was the decision. That was the thought process at that particular point in time. And then the head of Texas DPS was asked, well, whoever made that decision, clearly it was the wrong one. And listen to what he said. Uvalde has a part-time SWAT team, number one. Uh, the ISD's got, you know, they, they have limited officers. I think, what is it? Well, you got six. six. They got six, yeah. Well, yeah the independent, consolidated independent school district has six officers, and they didn't have one posted at that location. And someone said, hey, what do you tell the parents? I mean, you know, the you know, bottom line is that, uh, or someone talked about, said, if, when there's kids in the room, why wasn't there an entry? Because it was believed, like I said at the time, that, that the subject was stationary, barricaded. There was no risk to other children. Again, on retrospect, from where I'm sitting right now, clearly there was kids in the room. Clearly, okay, they're at risk. And, and oh, by the way, even when they go back to shooting, there may be kids that are injured, okay? They may have been shot but injured, and it's important for life-saving purposes to immediately get there and, and render aid. Absolutely. After Columbine, by the way, as you just heard, Dave McCross said the policy was always to schools around the country, you storm, you cannot wait. Because they learned in Columbine that waiting, the tactical thinking that maybe they, because they weren't hearing gunshots at that moment, that he was barricading himself in. However. Those minutes are critical. And there are now 911 calls from students and from teachers saying, please help us. I mean, it, it is gut-wrenching. It is so gut-wrenching. And my heart just breaks for these parents who desperately wanted to get in. I mean, you see some of the videos that have come out in the last 24 hours. They're just screaming at the law enforcement. And apparently some of them say they were arrested, they were tased. I mean, you don't really want parents storming in, but you can't blame them for just being so desperate to want to go inside and wondering why is law enforcement standing around. And now we find out that the commander on the ground made the wrong call and said, you know what, uh, this is not an active shooter situation. He's barricaded in, no problem. What's not making any sense is that you've got Kids calling in on 911 saying, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm, you know, here's what we're hearing. Here's what we're seeing firsthand. Please come on in. Isn't that getting relayed to the guys who are there right outside the door? Apparently there's a whole bunch that are outside the door and then many more outside. I mean, it seems like they have no communication. This is really scary. These huge mistakes may have been catastrophic. 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to John in South Carolina on line four. John, your thoughts about this. Rita, bravo to you that uh, you, you laid it out. The teacher who left the door open, uh, that, that's 
where she didn't follow the rules is one of the major causes of this disaster because this gunman would have had to breach a door that locks behind you. Yeah, and then they but would have maybe at least made. heard like like maybe glass breaking or something. What's, what's astounding to me, John, is the fact that they put out like an all alert. So, I mean, what kind of process is that that she then goes, oh, well, let me go get my phone. You know, maybe maybe they've had so many of them they didn't take it seriously. She'll have to live that with that for the rest of her life. Now, now, Rita, in the in the military, and what every police should be taught the stack maneuver. Okay, you need four people to run a stack. That's how the military clears buildings and clears rooms of bad people. Okay, all you need is four. You you, you give them numbers one one to four. They know what they're supposed to do. Tell everybody what that is, because I know what that is, but tell everybody what it is. A a stack, one to four. Number one goes through the door to the left. Number two goes through the door to the right. Number three goes straight through the door, hey, diddle, diddle, straight up the middle. Number four stays at the door, kind of hidden in the door frame, too. And everybody has an area to cover inside the room. And that way the shooter, because at that moment he's outmanned and outgunned, doesn't know who to look at. Because they're suddenly in four different directions all around them, right? Exactly. Now, now Rita, too, is sometimes they, they like to use shields, but you don't have them. Most of the military don't have them all the time. But what they do have and what every police car in the United States should have is two flashbang pyrotechnics in the trunk. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too. You know, it's interesting you said that. I thought about, you know— why not drop some sort of, you know, uh, gas in there, you know, and knocks everybody out. Even if it knocks the kids out, you know, temporarily, that would have been a good solution. You know, he, it, who knows if he, I don't think he had a gas mask, you know, from what we've heard. I don't think so. Uh, but that is, that's a great point. Flashbangs disorient everybody, gives you that chance to rush in. Yep. The next thing is every police car should have a ballistic helmet in the trunk. Yep. At least one. Yep. By the way, on the shield, they waited for the shield to come, but they waited about five to six minutes because when they knew that they had somebody with, you know, pretty significant uh, hardware with them, then they went and got the shield. Apparently, a, a big shield, like, you know, we've seen, obviously, a lot of people know, you know what it looks like, but it's a big, big shield that they can kind of go behind to protect the officers. Yeah. Um, most, they, most they waited about five or six time, minutes for that. Most of the time overseas, the Army doesn't have those. Army and the Marines don't have those shields. Right. They, they did. Apparently, by the way, John, they actually did hear, and I'm told it took them about five to six minutes. So, But they didn't use it. So that, that let me ask you, John, because you seem, obviously, I, you seem like a, a military guy. Um, what, how do you explain this 48 minutes? How do you explain they got the shield? It took about five to six minutes to get the shield, just as you pointed out. And then from the first encounter that they had with him, it was another, it was about 48 minutes till they actually got the master key. They were waiting for the master key from a janitor so they could open the door because it was locked from the inside. I I mean, how do you reconcile this, John? You you don't, uh, Rita, because what we have now is, are you familiar with, like taffy and stuff like like taffy okay that comes in roll roll strips yep we have explosives like that that's what marines and army people use to take down doors yep so why why, why do we not have why that don't, why, what, yeah, you're why looking don't for a janitor with a key i agree with you 
why doesn't the supervisor of the police have that? You don't have to wait. You can blow the door down. Yeah, blow the door down. You cannot wait. John, thank you. You had some great points. So appreciate it. Thank you. Let's go to Michael in Virginia Beach calling back. Uh, I know we had uh, trouble with the connection before, Mike. Go ahead. I hope this is a good one. And uh, you're covering the most important story, but not the most important part of the story. The most important part is the $60 billion sent to Ukraine that could have been used to train, not to train, but to pay $60,000 a year to one million special forces in every school and church district of the United States to train not only auxiliary police officers and regular police officers and sheriff deputies, but to train members of every congregation which will be targeted in the near future. All right, so Michael, Michael, I get your point. My, uh, you know, I absolutely believe that there should be more money for school security, thousand percent. And what a bunch of hypocrites! Some of these Democrats out there who talk about it and they have personal security guards. I, I mean, it's it's outrageous. Our students should be our most precious resource. People talk about like in banks. You know, there's so many security guards. We protect our money, but we need to protect our kids. I mean, what is, you know, what is more uh, priceless than our kids? I can't think of anything. Um, but, Michael, there's a lot of places where money has been spent um, where you could use money. I mean, I'll contend, uh, you know, what about all the green energy projects? Uh, there are so many places that money could be pulled for, you know, for school security, that there's so many areas, and that is a great point. That point is correct. You know, you obviously don't believe any money should go to Ukraine. I completely disagree, but I will tell you that we absolutely have to make school security a major priority. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. You're listening to the Rita Cosby Show. to this podcast now on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Download all of Red Apple Media's podcasts right now through your favorite podcast platform. This is the Rita Cosby Show. It is heartbreaking and gut-wrenching as we're hearing more details coming out in the last few hours of what happened there in Texas. And President Trump made comments just a little bit ago. He is at the NRA convention in Houston. Take a listen. The monster who committed this crime is pure evil, pure cruelty, pure hatred, absolute pure hatred. And while those he slaughtered are now with God in heaven, he will be eternally damned to burn in the fires of hell. Absolutely. And if you listen now, there seems to be a lot of warning signs about this guy, a lot of red flags. And this is what Texas Representative Tony Gonzalez said earlier today. Take a listen to this. Well, I found out late late last night that, you know, this, this, the shooter was arrested years ago, four years ago for having, for, for having this plan. For basically saying, for saying, you know, when I'm a senior in 2022, I'm going to shoot up a school. 
And this was four years ago they apprehended him. So some, something fell out between the cracks between then and now that, to allow this to happen. We need, to, we need to shake out all the facts. We need to figure out what happened, where the, 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 the holes, and we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. But if law enforcement uh, you know, identified him four years ago as a threat, we need to figure out why he wasn't, you know, how he got removed from that. Yeah, exactly. He would have been a juvenile at that time, obviously, but still. Are you kidding me? He, like, laid out a roadmap for it? And Tony Gonzalez said, you know what? There is a lack of attention on mental health. Take a listen. In Texas, we have 30 million, we have 30 million uh, citizens. We only have 1,000 mental health beds. That's a problem. We have to add more capacity to it, and it starts. I mean, what happened in Uvalde can happen anywhere. Yeah, it absolutely can. And now that's why we have to learn from this, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. And indeed, if this kid had these tendencies, how come law enforcement didn't really know it? How come he was able to buy a gun? Shouldn't it have been flagged? I'm all for the Second Amendment, guys, and I'm all for making sure that schools are even more fortified than they were earlier this week after what we've seen. Um, You know, tragically, as what we've seen with this shooting, there's been 27 school-related shootings. I mean, that's a huge amount of numbers already this year. And so I'm all for that. Uh, But you can't have a guy who has a mental history and who's made threats to shooting up the school able to buy a gun when he turns 18. So all these red flag laws, they're dropping the ball. Let's go to your calls, everybody. Let's go to Phil on line two. Phil, your thoughts. Yeah, hi, Rita. Good evening. Rita, one question before I go on. What type of weapon did he actually use in this in this uh, tragedy? I'll find out, but I know it was a long gun. I know he had a long gun with him. That's what he carried in. Well, I heard conflicting reports all day long, and yesterday, you know, this this thing they're saying it's a pistol, it's a rifle, it's a pistol, it's a rifle. That makes a big difference. Yeah, it does, but it seems like it was something that had, you know, automatic ability to it uh, because he had you know mass cartridges he was able to get off rounds very quick um what are your thoughts to phil at the fact that now law enforcement thought they had a quote barricaded shooter with obviously a lot of ammo uh as you just heard versus an active shooter well you're not going to like it but I, I i don't trust the major major parts of law enforcement because they've been wrong so so many times my, my, my concern was this. I, I think I got something here. What I think should be done is that every new gun that's manufactured legally, okay, I'm not talking about the uh, ghost guns, I'm talking about legal guns, should contain some, some sort of chip. Now, why do I say that? Because this chip should be linked to a system where, like, large public areas like malls, schools, churches, synagogues, and so on, where the public congregates frequently, where if, if this weapon is detected going into such a place, it should set off an alarm immediately. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting point. Um, you know, what about the fact, um, Phil, too, that clearly if this is correct, that this Congre- you know, this representative from Texas, Tony Gonzalez, says that the guy was arrested four years ago and said he planned to basically, you know, open fire on a, on a school when he turns 18. Uh, I mean, that's terrible. There's a lot of warning flags, and he was mutilating himself. I mean, this was not a normal kid. 
Um, but but that's a that's a really good point. Have something that flags if it is near a mass location that just something goes off uh, that there's there's concern in the area. Thanks so much, Bill. Let's go to Gino, uh, line four. Go ahead, Gino. Your thoughts. Hello. So so many thoughts. I you know, just, just so many things crossed my mind. Number one, if we stop manufacturing guns today, there's still more guns than there are people in America. And I'm not really a, I'm not a pro guy. I'm a retired police officer. I'm not a pro Second Amendment guy because as a cop, I want fewer guns out there with all these wackos in public. But that's really not the point I'm calling with. What they teach you in training is approach every situation tactically. So I understand a little bit and get into a little fact shakeout. I understand the cop's hesitation. If you're running into a room with an automatic weapon, do you have any idea how many rounds an automatic weapon fires per second? Oh, it's scary. Oh, my God. But, but Gino, right. the, the end result, you have unarmed kids and teachers inside. But if now, if there's a whole lot of silence after the initial outburst, and you're assuming that there's no survivors because he has thousands of rounds and automatic weapons, well, are you going to be the first one to stick your face and in by that the, room? And Gino, you Gino. Project, you want to approach that tactically. Now, and listen, I hear you, but just because maybe you don't hear a round, maybe they're dying from the, the bullet, you know? I mean, they could be bleeding out at that point, and that's when every second matters. Um, I agree, listen, and listen. I love law enforcement, as you guys know. It breaks my heart. But clearly this commander, at least on the ground, made the absolute wrong decision. And we were just talking about uh, the, uh, the John call from South Carolina. All these different directions. You distract the shooter. You had power in numbers. They did not do it. When we come back, we're going to talk to Andrew Giuliani about this more. Listen to this podcast now on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Download all of Red Apple Media's podcasts right now through your favorite podcast platform. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, a powerful story coming out of Utah where the Community Nursing Services held an honor salute service commemorating Petty Officer Clark's service to his country. Petty Officer Jack Clark, who is now 99 years old, heard about the bombing of Pearl Harbor over his car radio, and that's when he knew he wanted to serve his country. And within months, he joined the Navy along with his friend and also his 17-year-old brother. Now, Jack served throughout the Pacific War. He was also at Iwo Jima at the location of one of the bloodiest wars in the history of the U.S. Marine Corps when the American flag was raised over Mount Suribachi. And how beautiful that he is still among us and able to talk about what he experienced and able to also see that we will never forget his sacrifice. As we've been discussing, so much focus on school security and how we can protect America's children. And joining us now to discuss this is New York GOP gubernatorial candidate, Andrew Giuliani. Andrew, great to have you here. Rita, great to be on with you as always. And to all of our listeners, uh, um, I hope everybody has a very meaningful Memorial Day and we understand exactly the importance of this weekend as a country. Absolutely. And we're going to get to that, too, because you have such a, a devotion, I think, to the military and to their families, as you know I do, too. Um, Andrew, what are your thoughts, first off, on this Texas school shooting? I mean, the whole world has been shaken by it. 
You know, Rita, it's tragic. I actually am just looking at my little six-month-old daughter, Grace, right now. And I can't imagine what these parents are going through, how heart-wrenching it is for them. And, you know, as I saw this being reported on the news, she was the first person that I thought about. And actually, to be honest, whenever I talk about policies, my, my little daughter is the first person that I think about. So it's uh, it's just tragic. I mean, I look at this, and, and obviously in seeing what we've seen, I'm such a big supporter of law enforcement. Um, but in this instance, it, it appears as if, there was some hesitation with some of our law enforcement in going in there. And, you know, I, I know that's sad because I know the overwhelming majority of our law enforcement community would have gone in there and rushed. And, and certainly the members of the NYPD that I know and, and so many of those great law enforcement organizations around the state of New York, um, these are men and women that put their life on the line and would go in immediately uh, to make sure that they would prevent something like this. And, and I think, Rita, what probably from a solution standpoint, one of the things uh, that I would hope to enact on day one is having an officer uh, in each school. So that way, uh, if there is a situation like this, you have somebody that is already on the premises in the building that's ready to tackle the situation. I think also you'll have less armed shooters if you actually have uh, someone that is in the building prepared uh, to do this. And I think also looking at a potential similarity to like an air marshal situation where uh, you might have a teacher that is former law enforcement. Actually, there was somebody who was on, on my protective detail who once he retired from the NYPD, uh, he went up and, and worked for Cardinal Hayes and, and worked as a teacher. He would have been a perfect candidate for somebody who could carry in school and, uh, you know, nobody might know about them, uh, but he'd be prepared with, with the weapon if, if necessary. You know, those are great points because I like the air marshal idea because you don't know who it is. Then kids also, yeah. God forbid, you don't want them to get access to the guns either. Yeah. Um, so it would really have to be something that is covert. You know, it's frustrating as you talk about it, Andrew, the outside. There were initially reports that this you know, school resource officer was out there and was involved in a shootout uh, with the suspect. And then he goes in. Turns out there wasn't a school resource officer outside. Um, yeah. Just as you said, it would have made a difference, I believe. Absolutely. I think absolutely it would have. Uh, and you look at somebody who might, you know, really know the building so well and understand it. Uh, and I think that's what's so important in all this. You know, you want people that really understand uh, the situation and that maybe have done this. And that's why I think uh, having former law enforcement, maybe with if we were to do something similar to an air marshal program, they could work directly with their local law enforcement so that way they could be trained specifically in situations like this. And they could be trained specifically with law enforcement so that way if, if God forbid, there was something like this going on, there would be a very easy way, multiple access points for law enforcement to get in the building immediately. Because a lot of times what we've seen in situations like this is uh, the madman, the shooter, uh, will end up barricading doors and making it that much more difficult for law enforcement to access the building. And sadly, in this case, uh, the guy just walked through the back door. I mean, it's astounding. Yeah. And again, you know, reports we're still waiting to see. You never know. Things could change. But, yep. you know, in this case, we've got the shooter who's, you know, shoots his grandmother. She calls 911. Then there's a shootout in basically the parking lot of the school by this funeral yeah. home, it looks like. Um, then there's another call. You know, he has the crash, obviously, right before that. And then he's able to walk in the door. I mean, it's astounding yeah. to me that there wasn't a 100% lockdown of every door in that school. 
Absolutely. 100% Rita. And, you know, looking at this, obviously, and I think one of the things that we've consistently seen, uh, whether it be the Buffalo shooter or this shooter down in Texas, uh, is, you know, how, how important a role mental health plays in all this. Uh, I, I think, you know, we've seen a deterioration of our mental health in so many of our youth. Uh, and I don't know if that's attributed to technology. I don't know if it's attributed to isolation, what we've all experienced over the better part of the last uh, two and a half years now. Um, but I think we have to acknowledge that mental health is becoming a real issue. Uh, and if we continue to try to isolate people, unfortunately, we're going to see more and more radical people like this uh, come up and and, uh, and do this. And, and so to me, uh, that's why one of the greatest solutions to all this is making sure that we have people that can healthily interact. Uh, and also, in the case of the Buffalo shooter, for example, I question uh, the governor is, you know, uh, because we had this guy, the New York State Police had this guy for 24 hours after he threatened to shoot up his school. Uh, why was this guy not able to be held for longer than 24 hours? And was it a resources issue? We've heard from Albany. We've heard from the city council in New York time and time again that they want to rethink and, and defund policing. Well, I think this is a perfect example for why we need more resources in policing and not less. What about, um, is there any sort of middle ground on gun control? What are your thoughts about that? Because, you know, even, uh, you know, Senator Manchin, Democrat, said, I would be for, quote, common sense gun control. He's basically a Second Amendment advocate. Yeah, I think I think in urban areas there is. But again, I always kind of look at it and, and say, what are we actually, who are we ceding our freedoms to? And, and that to me is always important. I, I'd much rather read a focus on the 250 million guns, the illegal guns that are in the United States of America and taking those off the street and, and looking at this kind of from a theoretical 30,000 foot view at this. If we focus on uh, you know, impeding legal gun owners' rights before we actually go after those illegal weapons, uh, we're certainly doing that in reverse order and we're making uh, those legal gun owners uh, that much more prone, or I'd say that much more vulnerable, who are mostly doing it in the right way. Uh, I think we need to make sure that we pour more resources into law enforcement. That way we can tackle more and more of those 250 million illegal guns. Well, and to your point, Andrew Giuliani, that, you know, uh, the guys who are the bad guys aren't going through the books. I mean, New York State, as you know, has one of the toughest gun laws basically in the country, and yet we have a lot of guns. So they always find a way to get around the system. What do you think of the fact that, also, the Democrats seem to be sort of a one-trick pony. And within hours of the shooting in Texas, we heard President Biden came out and everything was gun control. I'm going to go after the gun yeah. manufacturer. A lot of people found it almost unseemly because it was like he spent about a, a minute on the victims and then he went into sort of like DNC talking points. Didn't talk about yeah. any of these other layers, uh, which I want to get to with you, like mental health and other things. It's like his one trick pony kind of attitude. It's like, here are the points. Yeah, and that's why I appreciate the way that, that you look at this, Rena, because you really touched on kind of all of the different aspects of this, right? I mean, it might be uncomfortable to talk about uh, the gun situation, but it's something we have to talk about. But certainly mental health is such a big part of it. Funding our police is a big part of this. Uh, but it seems like on the left, and specifically when you talk about Biden or Hochul in our situation, or even sometimes Adams, um, you know, they seem to focus just on the DNC talking point, which is take away guns, take away guns, take away guns, um, instead of actually focusing on 
the people that uh, are actually pulling the trigger there and the mental health issues uh, that people have that get them to that point where they're actually doing something as heinous as this. Uh, it's disappointing. I mean, you, you see that he didn't go to Waukesha. He still has not been to the southern border. And, uh, and he didn't come to New York City for any of, of the subway crimes or anything like that. But he's decided instead uh, to go to these, uh, which he believes will be, quote, political wins for him. Uh, very disappointing. And, and unfortunately, I think it's what we've seen with this presidency, which is uh, we're going to put politics first and we'll put the welfare of Americans last. Uh, I think we're seeing that out of more and more Democrats recently. Uh, I, I hope that's not the case. You mentioned one Democrat that, while I certainly don't agree with him on everything, I, I think he's a guy that does not put politics first in Joe Manchin. And, uh, and I wish that there were more Democrats that were like that. Although it seems like he just gets abused left and right. Remember, they were following him on his boat. Um, they were yep. following Kirsten Cinema, you know, the other uh, conservative Democrat into the ladies room if they don't vote their way. And I'm referring to sort of the uh, squad yep. and the progressive crowd. What about the fact that President Joe Biden, literally it was a few days after this terrible shooting in Texas, continues with a criminal justice reform a panel that he was planning, you know, a long time ago in light of the death of George Floyd, which was terrible. Um, but yet the whole panel was all about basically police abuse, um, you know, overreach by police. So many people were like, are you kidding me at a day, you know, where there are people who are saying we need more police, not less. Yeah, completely out of touch. And, and you're absolutely right. This is somebody who believes in, uh, unfortunately, pushing his political agenda and not actually looking at uh, the solutions that it will take to make sure uh, that tragic things like this don't happen again. Uh, look, as I've said very clearly, my first and number one priority uh, is a full repeal of bail reform starting on day one. And, and Reed, I'll tell you, uh, I look forward to that first meeting that I have with Andrea Stewart-Cousins and Carl Hasty on my first day in office and saying very clearly to them, uh, repealing bail reform is my first priority. Uh, if you don't give me a full repeal of bail reform, your upcoming budget negotiation, I'm not funding your top priorities because it's that simple to protecting New Yorkers' lives. Um, th that's what we need. That's the kind of mindset that we need, not just in New York, but across the country. We need to make sure that we get around these fantastic lies that so many Democrats have told us and so many in the leftist media have told us over the last couple of years that our police are part of the problem. They really are the nucleus of the solution in getting our streets safer. And until we see that, until we acknowledge that, and until we act in that manner, unfortunately, we're going to see crime continue to spiral the wrong direction, not just in New York City, not just in New York State, but all around the country. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, before I let you go, I definitely have to talk with you because you've got, of course, the big party gubernatorial primary, June 28th. Um, and then you've got a whole bunch of debates before then, too, as well. So a lot of people, of course, know you, know your dad, um, but it'll be an opportunity for people to get to know you better. Um, and one of the new polls that just came out, you got some great news. Uh, the John Zogby Strategies poll uh, really pushed you up. It was like 10 percent. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's great. Look, we, we've seen in so many independent polls uh, that, that the campaign is doing so well now, just barely over a month until uh, primary day until we call it victory day one. Victory day two will come on November 8th. 
but we have, I think, three or four different debates coming up, including uh, on June 13th, I think, is our first one. I'm sure there'll be a few others that will be added on there. But I'm really, really looking forward to making this as transparent as possible for New Yorkers. And New Yorkers getting to see really kind of uh, the contrast in styles that I think myself and some of my competitors will bring. Look, I, I think what New Yorkers will see during those debates is you're going to have a guy in Andrew Giuliani who's not going up to Albany to tweak things. You're going, you have a guy in Andrew Giuliani who's going up there to break things. And I'm not going to be owned by party bo- bosses or lobbyists. We're going to come up there and make sure uh, that we really change Albany for the better. It can be done. We saw it in New York City almost 30 years ago, and we can do it in Albany. But it's going to take somebody with some backbone and somebody who's not afraid to go in there Uh, and break things for the right reason. Yeah, absolutely, 1,000%. How much are you learning from your dad? Because crime is the issue. You know, so much. And really, uh, it's amazing. And every once in a while uh, on the left, I'll get a question. Do you think your dad hurts or helps your campaign? And I say very simply, I said, look, if I thought my dad hurt my campaign, then I wouldn't be smart enough to be governor of the state of New York. You're talking about the greatest mayor in the history of the city of New York and one of the greatest prosecutors in the history of the United States of America. And I'm blessed enough that I call him up and I get advice from him four or five times a day. And it truly is amazing. He has been unbelievably helpful. Obviously, you know, his crime strategies uh, really revolutionized the way uh, that police, police, not just in New York City, not just in America, but around the world, And the truth is, there's nobody that saved more lives since Henry Hudson came down that river a little west of us right now in the the history of New York than Rudy Giuliani. I'm very, very proud of him, uh, not just as a candidate to have his support, but as a son. Well, we are so proud of you and so excited for you with the primary now. Not that far away, just about a month away. (laughs) Um, Real quick, how can people find out uh, more about you? Tell, Tell everybody. Uh, well, thanks, Rita. Go to saveny.org. That's saveny.org. And volunteer, donate, great. But definitely, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what we're doing well. We want to hear what we're not doing well. And most importantly, get out there and vote on June 28th. Absolutely. Andrew, thank you so much. We love you, and we're uh, just so excited for you. And so great to have you here on the show on so many important issues. Rita, thank you for having me, and have a blessed Memorial Day to you and all your listeners. Uh, And let's think about our veterans and all those who made the ultimate sacrifice this weekend to make our country as great as it is. One thousand percent. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, We have to remember our fallen heroes this Memorial Day every day who have sacrificed so much for all of us. When we come back, we're going to take your calls about the Texas school shooting. 1-800-848-9222. You're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. to this podcast now on the Red Apple Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Media's podcasts right now through your favorite podcast platform. It's the Rita Cosby Show. 
And you are listening to the Rita Cosby Show as some really heartbreaking details are coming forward that we've been talking about that law enforcement thought they had a barricaded shooter versus an active shooter, and they waited almost an hour to go in and storm that elementary school. It's a rare admission from law enforcement saying they made enormous mistakes. And they point the finger a lot to the commander on the ground who was a local guy on the ground who was calling the shots. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Norm on line eight. Go ahead, Norm, your thoughts. Hi, Rita. And this is the original Norman. I love that. uh, Yep. Uh, (laughs) The best. The original is always the best. Thank you very much, Rita. I try to be the original Norman. Anyway, um, yeah, um, there's a push. What bothers me is there's a push from the federal government to regulate and control local law enforcement. I'm seeing that. Um, I saw that with the Summer of Love. I saw that with the George Floyd case. Well, that's Summer of Love, I guess. Um, basically, they, they're, they're trying to kind of denigrate local law enforcement. And, basically, and by the way, basically, I think they're doing it a lot. I agree with right. you. And defunding. Right. I mean, not just not just verbally denigrating. They're also defunding. I mean, this is a reason to beef up, not to say they need less hardware, you know? Right. And it, it, listen, I mean, they were local cops. The initial people, local county cops that went there on that, the initial situation, they're, they're not used to, they don't, they're not trained like the military, and they're not trained like these, uh, the cops that l- later came who were like these border cops who had more tactical uh, you know, techniques and all that. Although, you know what's interesting, Norm? I would normally agree with you on that. However, in this case, they actually did drills, and they actually had tactical units from Uvalde because they are near the border, and because things are often kind of tense there, they actually had some tactical drills in all the schools and did training with the officers doing, like, drills throughout the schools in the school system in the last few weeks. So... I think they had the hardware. They just didn't bring it for this one. Um, I, I mean, there's still there are a lot of questions, Norm, real quick. And, you know, listen, I, my heart breaks. Law enforcement, it is a tough job. And you got an active shooter, but you can't have an active shooter with rounds and young kids inside. You got a storm. You have to you have to hit it from all directions. Go ahead. Right. We need to wait for the investigation to obviously progress, call for peace and calm. And that goes not only for the public, but especially our political leaders who need to not throw gasoline on the fires. Oh, my God. Norm, you have hit some great buttons because the politics of it is has it's just been disgusting. You know, it's like President Biden gave his thoughts and prayers to the families and then spent, you know, that was like a minute. And then the next 10 were like he was reading DNC talking points about gun manufacturers. I mean, to me, that is outrageous. When I say, and Beto, who showed up at that hearing, that was despicable. That was despicable. Um, Let's go to Rich real quick, line four. Go ahead, Rich, your thoughts. Hey, Rita, thanks for taking my call. I'm a 60-year-old conservative gun owner here in New Jersey. I've supported the majority of the Republican platform uh, since my first vote. But I don't understand why Republicans keep diving on the sword over background checks and a 30-day waiting period. I'm a gun owner. Nobody's taking my AR-15 away. If 
but I do think there's a lot of crazies out there. And doing a, an extreme background check and waiting 30 days to get your license, yes, it's inconvenient, it's four weeks, but big deal. It's not going to stop me from being a gun owner, but it may stop a crazy from getting a gun. No, you bring up a great point because there's a lot of legal gun owners out there uh, that want the guns only in legal hands and sane hands, and clearly they missed the mark on this one. Um, let's go to John in Pennsylvania real quick. Uh, John, your thoughts real fast. Well, yeah, I was in Denver when Columbine went down, and it was wow. kind of the same thing. It took them over two hours before they even entered the building. And by the way, John, after Columbine is when they said this cannot happen again. They made such exactly. serious mistakes. That's what's exactly. so stunning here that they it's like they're sadly reliving history, and, and it's heartbreaking. Real quick, what are your thoughts about this admission, though, that law enforcement said they were wrong? Well, I did six years Marine Corps, and it was drilled in us. We don't go around, we go through. Absolutely, and John. No, you're absolutely right. And sadly, as dangerous as it is, you got to stop the madman. Uh, there's so many questions. We'll see where this goes, you guys. Obviously, we love our law enforcement, and we want the best for them. Listen to this podcast now on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.